I'd like to ask you some some practical applications of your own ethics in in in, in like scenarios, if that's okay with you, because I I feel like that's more okay, like so. a better understanding of your thing. But if if you feel so, it's up it's up to you to agree or not. But uh, I I just like to ask you like some basic questions in a particular scenario and ask you from your ethics, what would you choose to do? So if Very, so, I'll I'll, so to, I'll, I'll, I'll explain gonna, further if you'd like. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, I mean, I'm. All right, so we're gonna do like the standard utilitarian bullet points. You're gonna do like the oh, what if they're like what well, you know? No, 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 you have no, to no, murder no, one not person the, to save time. The, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, not, none of that. Not the uh, not the bullshit. Um, would you have sex with a corpse or young or rape a young girl? None of that. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll give you this. Okay. So this is this is like uh, this is political question. So basically, I'm assuming that you're in government or, or control the government to some degree, mm-hmm. and it around certain topics, and you can you can choose. What you what you would do in that scenario, you, and I'll ask why you chose to do that. But I'm assuming, in terms of utilitarianism, that I'm assuming for the greater for the greatest good for the oh, uh, sorry for the greater for the greater good or for the greatest number of 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 people, good for the great number of people anyway. But I'll start. I'll start yeah, I mean, with, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, I'm happy to talk about that. But I sort of suspect that these will be. Well, if you like if you if you feel that I'm being uncharitable. If you feel that I'm being uncharitable in any way, then I, by all means, you can say, "Look, this isn't for me." But I, mean, I don't think it's uncharitable. I think it's no. If you think I'm, if you think I'm asking difficult and unrealistic questions, by all means, you you can you can leave. So on on the topic okay, of sure. property rights, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's assume that um, there is a small community living on a on a stretch of land, and that stretch of land could be used for for agriculture and to feed a much larger population and you're asked by the by the farmers in, in the region to relocate that community to another place so that the farmers can then take over the land and use that land to feed a larger population what would you choose to do um well i think there are some open empirical questions that would matter sure, go ahead. so for example I, i'm not exactly sure how much uh, relocating would negatively affect the community, right? It's possible that it negatively affects them a huge amount so that that would make it not worthwhile on that. Um, I'm also not sure what the sort of... Can I just ask quickly, why would you privilege, why would you privilege a small community over the larger population? I wouldn't, I wouldn't. It's just, it depends on the magnitude of impacts, right? So if there's a huge amount of impact for a few people who are moving versus a very small amount of impact for people who get marginally more food in the population, then the total like sum of utility might come out that I just shouldn't move them, right? So it's a significant improvement in, in food production. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, so again, if, if it does turn out that the uh, amount of happiness gained by the increased well, food production is greater okay. than the happiness lost by moving the population, right? Then there'd be one other question, which is just like wider precedent setting, right? Are people overall then in the future going to be worried that they're going to have to give up their house at the moment's notice, which possibly has highly negative utility. But if that also comes out as unimportant, um, so if you're saying that the increase in food production is so great that it would weigh out both, both of those considerations, then yeah, I, I think it's fine. I mean, you already have eminent domain, and you can go through like a process. You can go through a process that said we decided, we considered, we considered everything, and we decided to still move you. So you you can say, um, in terms of like people in the future worried about, they said, well, you would have have to go through a process. But even now, like the the, the government can just take away your house if they want to. Yeah, 
preeminent domain. So I'm assuming yeah. I'm assuming that if you do this process that it kind of like reduces the concern of people in the future, then you would relocate this community. You can choose how you relocate them. Like you can relocate them to someplace yeah. nice. Like it's up to you. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on the the sort of exact numbers of how how you know how much it harms the people are getting moved or how much uh, well, how it like shakes other that? people's confidence. Their own. How would you um, specifically so, the the minority group? How would you calculate harm? So I would probably use sort of heuristics, right? So first of all, you would do a survey and ask them, you know, how much they would be willing to pay be paid, for example, to move houses, right? They're very um, attached to their lands. So Okay, right. And then you would look at um, how much productivity growth, how much food uh, production would you get, right? Six, um, time, six times the, the, the food production you have right now in the country. Yeah, but then you might also have to look at things like, well, uh, are we able to cheaply import most of the food, right? Um, is, well, that's, are we, that's a cost. Like, yeah. That's a cost either way. You have to pay people from outside yeah, but, the country. Right, but it might be the case that even if we increased our food production by sixfold, foreign imported food is still going to be cheaper, right, than our domestic food. Right. So again, I, I'm not, I'm not hearing. So either you're telling me that utilitarianism is so up in the air that anything can mean anything, or you're telling me I'm deciding to privilege a small group of people above the majority. Yeah, so I don't think I'm telling you either of those things, right? What I'm because telling I'm, I'm you not is getting a clear answer the, either way. Right. Well, the answer, right, is because it depends on sort of complicated empirical questions about what actually happens. And you, well, I'm, I'm unsure. Your empirical, I don't know. your empirics can't calculate harm one way or the other. I'm telling you that I'm giving you empirical information that you will grow six times more food that's currently being grown in the country. And you are removing a small group of people from the land who are very attached historically to the land, and uh, you would be forcing them. You would be taking away their property. Again, this is around the issue of property rights, and you would be moving them to another place. Again, like the, the place you move them to could be nice. I'm not saying it has to be like a dump them somewhere and and, and starve them to death or anything. You you can move them to a nice place, but you are moving them from the land. So have have I provided yes. enough uh, empirical information or not enough? No, not enough. There are many other factors that you'd want to consider. Like what? Because okay, so, at this uh, point, I think you'll be... Yeah, you want to consider... No, no, I mean, I'll... if you want a straightforward answer, right, that I would just say, if the utility comes out net positive of all of these things, right, then I would move them. And if it comes out net negative, then I wouldn't move them. The issue is whether the utility okay, so... comes out net positive Let, or net negative is going to depend on other things like how expensive foreign imports of food are right it's going to come be it's going to consider other things like is there sufficient food in the population right now or are there people starving right there are lots of other factors that you'd want to consider um so who are you um subjugating the decision to calculate the utility to oh um i don't know i guess you would probably subjugate it to the relevant authorities right you would have the you uh, are environmental authority. Well, no, I don't have a PhD in uh, like sociology. I don't uh, have a PhD in economics, right? So I'd probably ask um, economists to estimate the sort of impact on food prices what, of increased what question, production. Right? What questions would you like to ask? Is the economist the the main question? Because no, I mean, I, the I think there, there are different expert bodies that you'd want to ask. Right? Okay, again, so 
you meet up with all the, the expert bodies. They say that you will cause this group of people harm, but you will benefit mm-hmm. the majority of the country. That's the crux of the argument. Yeah. So again, I know that that's the case, but the question is going to depend on the magnitude of the harm and the magnitude of the benefit, right? Yeah, I don't know how you so, calculate. So the, ma- the benefit I can say, having a lot more food means that your population can grow faster. You can take on more immigrants. Uh, should there be uh, bad weather and, uh, and like drought or famine, you'd be covered under those situations. You would not need to spend money um, buying food from abroad. In fact, you can probably export food and, and gain money for the population. But in general, having food is both economically and, uh, and from a health point of view, a, a, a positive thing. And from the growth of the country, a positive thing. So an economist will, would probably okay it. Harm, you'll have to explain to me how you calculate. But again, if, you, if you're saying that the harm of a minority exceeds the benefit of the majority, then I... And, and again, this isn't uh, like, uh, like a case of raping someone or, or having sex with a dead body yeah. or something. This isn't like, a, like a, an intuition pump. This is like more real life. Yeah, okay. So um, as I said before, right, uh, I don't think... So if you're... To understand my perspective, you have to stop repeating, does the harm to the minority outweigh the benefit to the majority or the other way around, right? Because it's not a question of just the harm, right? It's a question of how much harm versus how much benefit. And so, yeah, there might be some benefit to the majority. But if we imagine, for example, that we had to torture 100,000 people to death to give $1 each to a million people, I'd say it's probably not worthwhile because the harm to the 100,000 people is greater because being tortured to death is worth more than $1. Well, right? I'm, not, I'm not suggesting being tortured to death. I'm, I'm literally telling you what no, I know. you would forcibly remove them from the property. Right, but the point is that I've been trying to explain is there are a lot of variables that come into determining whether sub- the magnitude of impact on different people by different policies. And, okay, let's, uh, let's, for, argument say, ask, let's yeah. for argument's sake say you, you will cause them immense psychological harm. Okay. But, and, but, they'll, but they'll be physically fine and they okay. may or may not get over it in the future. Okay, sure. And is that immense psychological harm outweighed by the overall population benefit or no? Well, if everyone, if, if you say in utilitarianism that everyone is equal to one, and let's say in this argument they are minus one and the rest of the population is plus one, then the rest of the population would exceed the number. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you're saying the sort of individual level magnitude of benefit is there's like X, negative X utility uh, to each person, each person in the smaller population, but there's a positive X utility um, by this action to each person in the larger population. And so there are more people, so the utility ends up coming out positive. Then, yeah, I do the action. Sure. Okay, great. Okay, let's move on. Uh, on the topic of unequal, uh, unequal exchange, um, yeah. should a country be allowed, and again, listen to what I'm saying here, should a country be allowed to exploit a small group of low wage workers? in developing countries, if it means lower prices and more economic growth in your developed country. So let me, so let me um, repeat. There's a smaller group yeah. of workers in, in a developing country and you're paying them a low wage, or not you specifically, but let's say a company from your country is paying them very low wages or, or, or like reasonable wa- wages to their area, but low comparison to you. 
and let's say for argument's sake that it's a group of 20,000 people and they're making products for your country which is 5 million people uh how yeah. would you would you cancel this pro, uh, process because it's an unequal exchange or would you let it continue because it benefits the greater good how much does it benefit the country that's uh that is extracting um let's say it's uh it's the equivalent of a recession if you if you cut it off there's a 4 okay, or 5% okay. 4 or 5% but it's percent like, it's like a one Okay, like one time and then it recovers, like a recession? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then the how many people is it who are suffering again? 20,000? Well, again, I'm, I'm, I'm using suffering like in a, in a sort of humorous way. I don't agree with unequal exchange, but you might. So it's 20,000 people, 20,000 workers in another yeah. country. They are getting yeah. lower wages than people yeah. in, in, in your country, but to their economy, obviously, it's good for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have accepted the job. Okay, and how many um, people, it, how, you said the population of my country was 1 million? F- 5 million. Right? 5 million, okay. Yes. So we like, might like a Nordic country, expect, basically. Like a Nordic country. So you, yeah, we might reasonably expect that a GDP, um, okay, so if we cut off, then we would get a sort of recession-sized economic shock that would result in, what do you think, maybe like uh, 45% GDP loss, and then, right? and then you can recover. Yeah, how much you, how much unemployment? Or yeah, um, I don't know if it necessarily. I I would say that un, un, unemployment may actually go down after the initial shock because people will be impl- will have to be employed locally to cover the the work that those people were doing, but the result of the products that they manufacture will be significantly more expensive. So in theory, in theory, like that would mean the GDP will grow and the unemployment will go down after the initial shock. Um, and how much would the, um, okay. But during the shock, how, what, what do you think employment would rise to? Unemployment? Like how much unemployment? Yeah, how much unemployment would the shock cause? In like oh, for you know in, whatever in, the term. Let's say let's say a half a percent uh, increase for for like half a percent. Yeah, for like six to nine months, and then it will change. Uh, okay, so you have five million people, right? And then you would have half a percent unemployment. So you'd have about twenty-five thousand people unemployed. Um, for a year, uh, and then you'd have a bunch of other negative economic consequences. Um, well, the big, the big, one, the big that, one is, is the, the, are, the big yeah. one is a reduction in GDP. Yeah, so that one's kind of hard because I think the the numbers are probably close enough, right? Because you have like what twenty five thousand people unemployed for a year, and then you actually have more employment after that. Plus, you have some GDP loss. But then again, um, yeah, I suppose it also sort of depends how the GDP is distributed. But um, the, you have to factor in yeah. that you have to factor in that uh, products will be more expensive later. That means the cost of living will go up, and potentially inflation will yeah. go up. Okay, so I mean, I'm not exactly sure how much inflation would go up, but I would say that it, it seems plausible that the right answer is to not change your policy. But I uh, again, you know. You have to give me why. 
why would you not change the policy? Why does it seem? Why why would I not? Yes. Oh, you are, I, there is an unequal yeah, so, exchange happening. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I might not change it, right, is if it turns out that the um. Oh wait. Okay, and also, sorry. If the unex if the unequal exchange stops, right? If we cut it off, then what happens to the twenty thousand people? Instantly lose their jobs. Okay, and do they find like a new, better job? Um, maybe yes, maybe no. You're not. You're on. It's difficult to say. They'll have to find an, a new country to replace your country, and that's like a, a tall order mm-hmm. on short notice. And it could be the case that. Um, Either the factories will close down permanently, or over there, I mean, or that, that maybe in, in half a year they'll reopen when they find new customers. Okay, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm roughly I'm, telling you what, what may or may not happen. Yeah. Right, but I, we don't know which way. Like, we can't be sure what, uh, what's going to happen. Let's just say that it's very likely it will be a catastrophic thing for them. Oh, okay. Well, then I think it's pretty clearly... Uh, you shouldn't shut it down because it's good for your economy and it's good for, well, I mean, it's good compared to the alternative for them, which is likely just having no job. Okay, cool. Okay, moving yeah. on. On the uh, on the topic of education, should mm-hmm. a school be allowed to expel a student who is consistently, so this is, you're not, a, you're, not a, you're like a head of a school now. Should a school be allowed yeah. to okay. expel a student who is consistently disruptive and, and lower the abilities of others to learn, even if that student is a is in a racial and economic minority. Okay, so uh, will the will the, does the student have other options for their education? So technically, in the U.S., you have this thing where um, no child no child left behind. As far, mm-hmm. And I could be wrong here, but as far as I understand, if they expel the student, then you'd have to find another school to take them in. You can't expel them proper. You have to find another place to take them in. Um, yeah. But let's let's say for argument's sake, you, you expel them. I mean, you, we, can, we can do either option. You either expel them to another school or you expel them and they don't have another option unless their parents go to another school and, and beg, beg and plead to take, to take the student in. Yeah. Um... Okay, so okay, so they will find another option, uh, and it is it possible for my school to provide uh, sort of like a smaller scale instruction, more individual, more individualistic instruction. Um, not not really. You can seclude that person and, and other people like that person in their own class and not teach them anything, which is what is currently happening. Okay, and then do I have good evidence that for the... Oh, okay, so I start, but they wouldn't be able to learn anything, so they basically wouldn't get any of the benefit of education? They would potentially even be illiterate by the time they finish school. Okay, okay. And then um, what about for other students who are disrupted? Do I have good reason to believe that this will like affect their sort of quality of life much le- much further in life? Or do I think that uh, they'll probably just like recover once they leave this class and they'll be fine in the long term? Gee, I don't know. I'm not sure how I can answer that. I mean, um, it is definitely the case that their education will be, will be hurt 
they will find it very difficult to make up the lost lesson. The teachers will also find it very frustrating and, you know, they may resign or move to another school. Um, so the whole situation isn't ideal. I don't know about, I can't tell you about the long term, if they will or won't recover. I, I can say that it will take, if they do it, it will be very difficult to do so. Okay. Um, so it's, and how many students is this kid affecting? Oh, let's say like, uh, what are your classes? 30 students or 20 something students? Yeah. Like 30. Yeah. So 29 students. Okay, so 29 students. Um, okay. So the alternatives available to me are either you keep them in class and the other 29 students will like have significantly worse educational attainment. Um, or I, you know, give them, put them in their own room and then they are like, they don't learn anything and, you know, they're just like forced to sit inside all day or I expel them from school. Right. And what you, happens to you expel them? Will their parents school, be able to, Yeah. You expel them from school and let's say they, for argument's sake, in this particular hypothetical, let's say you, they will not be able to find another school, but that's not your concern. Okay. So they won't be able to find another school, but would they be able to, um, for example, like would, would that mean that one of their parents has to stop going to work to look after them or would, would look after them? Uh, I mean, a lot of kids... Sometimes just hang hang out in the street in the streets like outside their home while their parents are away at well, work. Depends how old they are, yeah. Right, but uh, like you know, we're I talking we're talking about young teenagers. So like twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Uh, twelve. Let's say thirteen, fourteen. Okay. So wait. So they would just hang out alone with other kids that are there on the street. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Have, I mean, you see, have you seen the TV show The Wire? No, I've never seen it. Okay, there's an episode that regards this particular question, but never mind. Okay, I mean, I think probably the current solution is one of the better ones because, I mean, it's sort of hard to say, uh, but probably the, if, do you want to avoid them disrupting the, the education of 29 other kids? But then also probably having like uh, a kid spend their day without supervision it, you know, I, I guess I'm not exactly sure. I don't know enough about the sort of associated crime statistics or, or uh, how dangerous it is for them or stuff like that. But okay, so those you, are want to, bad you, you want to keep them in the school just to be safe, but secluded. Uh, or, I mean, I was assuming it was with other kids who would be disruptive, right? You would probably keep them with other disruptive kids, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so probably something. That... Okay. So moving on right, swiftly. So to the, to the issue of housing, you'd like this one. Do you, okay, so uh, can, uh, how many more of these do you have? Uh, not much. Uh, so housing... Uh, not much, like two? Uh, maybe four. Uh, ed, four so more? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll read this out. You can you can decide if you want to continue after this. Uh, a developer... Okay, uh, a developer I should just put, say for the record, Yeah. I should just say for the record before I move on that... Um, Obviously, all of these positions are given the sort of standards that you've defined, but mm-hmm. um, you know I'm agnostic on th- whether things like unequal exchange are true. But if they are true, I highly doubt it's like twenty thousand people being exploited for a nation of five million, right? So again, yeah, all of these depend on the exact numbers, and so I, you know I 
I don't, I'm not committing to any position about the real life instances of these things because I'm, I'm not sure that your true, that your sort of, uh, numbers or the perspective that you've given about the real life instances do reflect what happens. I, I am actually trying to, to be as realistic as possible here. The, the number for the unequal exchange, I mean, I don't think I'm far off the mark. I, I, I lived in China for two years and I am aware of people that, you know, uh, move from like different provinces to earn a bit of money. They come to like larger cities or, or those economic zones that they have in China and they, they get these 16-hour um, jobs for like, I don't know, like six to eight months. They, they save a lot of money. And then they go back to their village, they buy like a, a cow or a generator or something. Because basically, uh, they left the kid there with the, grand, with the grandparents. So they're not going to go and just do an eight-hour eight or nine-to-five job. They want to, to work a lot, get a lot of money and go back um, to a relatively yes. poor I, village. I also, the numbers I also of, lived in the China number for 20, a number of years I think, and I don't remember it. I, I, I don't think, remember it being 20,000. I, I personally think it's realistic. But, you know, if, if, you, if someone finds a number, then I'm happy to be proven wrong. Uh, okay. Well, the point is, the point is for all of these cases, I'm agnostic about the numbers, right? So I'm not actually committing myself to positions about the real life things because those well, all I'm, depend yeah, on I'm, the I'm, actual. I'm giving you the context, right? so it, you can blame me. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I'm just in the hypothetical. I would do it this way, but you know, no, no, nobody tell me afterwards, right, that I was being inconsistent. If in real life, I would stop on equal exchange. Right? Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, a developer got the rights to build a large number of apartments in a, in a medium-sized town. The locals hearing about it late voted overwhelmingly against the build, citing that it would ruin the character of the town, ruin the local wildlife, and be an impossible strain on the local health, police, school system, and roads. Should they, allow, should they be allowed to stop the build? Uh, wait, so how many people would be affected? Um, like the, the number of people in the town? Yeah, who would be negatively affected by this? Um, 20,000. Okay, and how much this, what, what effect would the build, like what, what positive effects would building of the real estate have? Well, it would be houses in, in the country or in that, and in that particular town. It would mean that people right, could could How move many? into the town. Let's say the build was, let's say, 160 units. So people could move in okay. from outside the town into the town and have a place to live. But it's plausible that this 160 units will actually like pollute the water supply a lot, uh, Maybe. decrease the quality of life. Maybe. So he, oh, okay. Well, look, I mean, if it's 160 people moving in versus... 20,000 people who are actually going to have like their quality of life greatly decreased. And I would say that, um, I would not allow the construction probably. Okay. So moving quickly yeah. on, uh, on the topic of free speech, should a government, this is a more of a general opposition. I don't have any numbers, but should a, a government be allowed to monitor and restrict the internet access of its citizens? If doing so would prevent the spread of harmful or dangerous ideas. Um, yeah, that's a big if there. I'm not really sure that that would happen in real life. Uh, okay. And the government, does the government have like a reliable way of identifying which are this is, again, uh, I don't, harmful? This is, this is just your opinion. I don't have any numbers to give you. Oh, in real life? In oh, real in life, real yeah. life, I think that we should be pretty pro-free speech. 
but that's just because I think the government, I think that um, the sort of regulation, the bodies that would regulate free speech uh, don't do a good job of teasing out what are worthwhile opinions and what are non-worthwhile opinions. Um, and I also think that there are some plausibly negative effects of, you know, not discussing certain issues, right? So in real life, I think I'm uh, weakly pro-free speech. But so uh, is this a, uh, you know, is this a rights-based argument? No, no, it's not a rights-based argument. What are you making the argument on that the government is a bad arbitrator? Yeah, I, I'm. I don't think. Well, I'm not convinced that it's a good arbitrator. So I would be hesitant, at least. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, on the issue of crime, should a mm-hmm. government, again, this is a general question, pay sure. violent criminals monthly payments? for them to not commit violent crimes. So I'll give a context here. Uh, violent vi- People who committed violent crimes, i.e. murder, or, 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 bank ro- or armed bank robbery or something, went to prison, came out of prison, and you're, you're ask- I'm asking you if you would pay them monthly uh, payments in order f- to prevent them from, make, from doing more violent crimes, i.e. they agree to not do it, and the pay- the payments help them live a more comfortable life so they don't need to commit violent crime potentially no i probably i probably wouldn't do that i think there are bad incentives at play right because they need to be incentivizing people to uh commit crimes so that they can get this sort of payment after the fact right okay cool single parent yeah. households uh now assuming that assuming that the single parent households very negatively affect the kids and that has a very negative cost to society. Um, the kids themselves will do very bad at school. They they have a higher chance of committing suicide, taking drugs. And in addition, they would need support from the government as a result of being uh, in a single parent household. So, the, so basically, it will hurt the kids and it will hurt society to take care of the kids of single parent households. This is the assumption. Should the divorce of married couples with children be regulated? Um, okay, so well, first, first, first issue here is if you don't let them divorce, I'm not sure that the alternative is much better for the child, right? I think that if you have parents who like really don't like each other and want to divorce, but are forced not to divorce, you probably have some pretty bad facts too. So right, I'm but, not really sure there. But uh you you could say that, but you could say, for example, you would remove no-fault divorce. So meaning, if you do want to get divorced, there's a much higher bar that you have to meet. That doesn't mean that if if like there's domestic violence that you will not be allowed to divorce because you may still be allowed, but the bar would be considerably higher. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even sure for the lower bar cases whether it would be good for the child to have their parents not divorce. But um, again... It, so, you think that if the parents stay, so e- even if the parents are are arguing more, you think it's uh, better for them to divorce and to have single parent household. Even even though I'm showing a statistic that the single parent parent households in and of themselves have a lot of negative consequences. Well, I'm just I'm agnostic. I'm not really sure. I don't know enough about the. Uh, I don't know enough about what it's like to. Uh, grow up with parents who like want to divorce, but it's not rising to a level where there's fault. Um, so I would be, I I would doubt that that's particularly good. So I sort of lean against regulating divorce more highly than we do now. But 
uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not particularly sure either way on the issue. Would you not like to at least take precautions that at the very least make it more difficult for people who got divorced because of just one argument and they could have worked it out, but because the uh, legal process to get divorced is so convenient that they chose to do it through that instead? Yeah, I mean, I so I would probably not want to try that legally because I think that you're uh, sort of moving in a bad direction there because you're making it easier to... Well, first of all, I don't know if we would have if it would be possible to have a low enough bar um, that like anything above that would get passed, but that wouldn't get passed. I think that'd be hard to enforce. But even if it was, I mean, I'm not. I don't know if I want to set the norm that it's easy to regulate people getting out of marriages. But I mean, if you're asking me in those cases specifically, should those people divorce? I would say no. Those people should not divorce. But what are you going to do about it? I'm not convinced that there is anything you can do about it. Well, of course you can do something about it. You can use all, all manners yeah, of okay. degrees of force right. to do something about it. Yeah. Okay, you're right. I should say I'm not convinced that there's any better alternative. There's any better policy option other than letting it happen. Well, let me give you some policy options. You can remove no-fault divorce. You could make it more difficult to divorce. Yeah, okay, I know that, and you can have yeah. crim- criminal consequences for cheating in a marriage. Yeah, I don't... I. But you have to give I'm me a reason. Not sure. You have to give me a reason yeah, why, I, why you're choosing this way. Because again, this is a privileging a, a minority against the majority. That's not true, right? It is. <laughs> true. I don't know. I don't even understand how does that how does that work now? Because do you think that like married couples have there's like more than one kid involved usually? So usually there's like a minority of parents and majority of children. No, it's the children and society that has to k- take care of those children. Yeah, but presumably it would also be society that would have to deal with like couples fighting all the time, stuff like that, right? Well, you can send you could send them to free uh, couples counseling on the government if you want to. That you can do a variety of things, right? Okay, so uh, I understand that, but it's not a minority majority issue here, cleanly cut, right? The issue the issue is just uh, what what's our, like who who's harmed more and who's benefited more, and the point is. So I've given you reasons before about why I think that no-fault divorces probably aren't going to be clean-cut because there's still going to be cases where people don't have uh, like a good... They're not able to cleanly assign fault in a way that's going to get them a divorce, but it's still a very bad relationship that's probably bad for the child to be in, right? And about like criminalizing cheating, for example, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that the sort of fear that that would instill in people is worthwhile, right? And uh, I think that probably criminalizing it. I, well, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure that criminalizing um, cheating would actually decrease cheating that much. Well, I mean, just just from a point of view, you're disincentivizing cheating, and therefore this, and therefore if someone is disincentivized to cheat to cheat, and will engage less in that behavior, then fewer divorces will happen. Yeah, so I'm, I don't think that that works that cleanly, right? Because you'd have to, so you'd have to show for that to be true is that human psychology works neatly according to like risk benefit calculuses in a Look, certain uh, way. You, but you have, as, not, as far as, far as it, just, just on a generic kind of, uh, yeah. like, you know, disincentives will disincentivize and incentives will incentivize. So, yeah, so I, I understand that, right? But the point is to say that I think for a lot of people, there already are very strong disincentives for cheating, namely that their partner will like get super angry at them and probably divorce them, right? And so 
I'm not sure that when people do cheat, I think that there might be some people who are disincentivized, but for most people, I think that when they cheat, probably it's a pretty impulsive decision and they just imagine they'll never get caught. And so for those people, I'm not sure that adding more punishments for cheating would help because it's probably A, impulsive, so they won't think that much about it, and B, they just imagine they'll never get caught. So uh, the consequences don't matter because they think that it'll never affect them. Okay, so let's say you, in, in addition to criminalizing cheating, you will send police to randomly uh, check motels and ask if the people there, if, and check if the people there, one of them is married to someone else. Okay. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, a worse idea because uh, the sort of fear that people would have about mm-hmm. having their motel room barged into all the time, anytime um, for police oh, and, to investigate. And also, also like that, in, right? in, in romantic uh, walks by the beach or something, the police will do. Yeah. They like stop people and ask, are you married to each other or are you, are you married yeah. to someone else entirely? Only, yeah, if they, so, only, only if they see them kissing in public. Right. So again, I can only give you my intuition here because I haven't read studies about whether or not police investigating hotel rooms would greatly decrease cheating, right? But my intuition here is that uh, I would rather dislike it if there were police that were checking all the time on romantic beaches. I think lots of people would dislike that. And I think it probably wouldn't decrease cheating that much because people would just like find other places to cheat, right? So I think it would have a uh, it seems like it would have a major negative effect without having that much of a positive effect. So, uh, just concluding, what I'm hearing is we, the rights of the of the parents, uh, should be respected, and if the children, uh, you know, the, the negative, the the clear statistics about doing worse at school, doing worse in in life, earning less money over life, more suicidal, more. Uh, risk of drugs, all all the effects of a uh, single female-led, technically, uh, single-parent households, those society just has to suck up and, and and absorb. Yeah, so I'm not sure where you heard rights, right? I don't think I ever said rights, so well, I don't I, know well, why you're... Because basically, all these, or the way I'm phrasing it at least, it's either a rights-based argument or utilitarian-based argument. So let's yeah. say. So I think I gave you I gave you utilitarian arguments, right? You said it's it's ineff- the, you said you doubt that it right. would be effective. Although we can probably find some things yeah. that would be effective. Oh well, I, the, I'm not sure, right? I'm just I'm just not sure we can find anything that would be effective. So I mean, you could I, be pretty heavy handed on it if you if I you don't want know. to. I right, but right, but the point is that once you get more heavy handed, the sort mm-hmm. of negative effects increase because people are more likely to feel unhappy about it. They're more likely to feel like their privacy is being violated. And those sorts of feelings are negative utility. So the increase in those might weigh out whatever positive effects. The point is to say, right, I have no idea why you attributed my position to being a weighing of the rights of the parents. I never even mentioned the rights of the parents. And also, let me finish, right? Because we're also talking about the harms to the child. But as I said earlier, I'm not sure that the harms to the child would actually, ha- I'm not sure that the harms are comparative because the studies show a comparison of children from single family homes to non-single family homes, but presumably lots of those non-single family homes are functional single, uh, are functional non-single family homes, whereas probably the alternative would be dysfunctional single, non-single uh, parent home, right? So the relevant question is going to be for a dysfunctional Sing, um, a dysfunctional couple versus a single parent home, how much worse is the single parent home? And I, do you have good evidence on that? I'm not sure. 
So the so I'm saying it's I'm saying it's a rights based rights based argument because at the very least you may not hear it, but I'm hearing their privacy, their freedom. These sound to me rights based. Although you know you could be right that it's both rights based and you know feelings based. Therefore, a utility from that. Um, with regards yeah. to with regards to dysfunctioning families, so the the argument basically, and I, I'm not. I don't really have data for this, but the argument is that the dysfunctionality is temporary. That it, you know, they, they have arguments, they, they fight, even for a whole year. They fight, they argue, but then it passes and they just, you know, get used to each other and they continue with the, the family. So it's a, it's a temporary, um, dis, what did you say, sorry, disunity? Yeah, disutility. Dis, tem- okay, dis, disutility. Um, it could right, be the, so, it could be the case that you know there's domestic violence in which case by all means have a divorce go to court and it could be the case that the person is a serial cheater or has met more than one family and it, in that case by all means goes to go to court and, and get a divorce but I'm just saying that um, if you if you factor in like the, the the result of the consequences of divorcing on the kids and later society because of those kids, then you know then you are you you do need to violate people's freedoms people's rights to to cater to prevent that okay so first of all um i mean i guess you're welcome to hear what you want to hear right but if you're interested in my actual position then yeah, i'll just tell fine. you my actual position which which doesn't have to do with rights so that's fine. yeah i don't the, the there's no rights-based argument there right and second of all so I, if your empirical premise is true, which you know I'm, I'm not sure of, then it, I'd be more inclined to say that it would be okay. But I think probably, well, I'm, I'm not sure, but I would imagine most couples that end up fighting want a divorce. It's not temporary. I think lots of them have like pretty big personality disagreements or other issues with um, their relationship being a long way from each other. Right? There, there are plenty of plausible reasons for a divorce, and I think a lot of them won't end up being resolved after a year. So. Well, again, so if you you could make that case if they were if they were divorced, sorry, if they were married for a short period of time, but if they were married for a longer period of time, that would be a harder a harder claim to make, especially if they have kids and the kids are grown to some, like you know, I don't know, the age of ten, that would be that would be a harder claim to make. But uh, yeah, I, I I got the I got the the point. Moving on, so will of the people on the topic of will of the people. Uh, again, this is a quick question. If the people vote in a referendum, to so this is the majority of the people, uh, to reduce taxes or reduce social welfare payments or leave the European Union, should your government carry out their wishes? Oh, for any of those three? Any, any um, one, either, either way. Yeah, I think if my... Okay, so it depends... If my government set up a referendum, right, then mm-hmm. I think that it would be sort of a violation of the process to not follow through. And I think violating the process is probably going to bring about a lot of disutility. I think it probably decreases trust in government. It also does other things like um, <clears throat> it's going to uh, decrease norms of uh, dem- it's going to decrease sort of democratic buy-in in government, which means that you're more likely to get other authoritarian actions in the future. So I would probably follow through on those types of things because I think that it's overall worthwhile uh, to maintain the trust in government and the democratic status of the government. 
Okay, I, did you factor in the reducing social welfare payments and leave the European Union and the consequences of that? Yeah, I mean, so I think those are both bad things. I wouldn't be in favor of them, but I also think that uh, probably those can be rectified, but a democratic bias backsliding in your country is often pretty difficult to rectify. And if you end up like sort of democracy crumbles and you end up having semi-authoritarian government, then that's very bad for the very long term. But if you have sort of decreased social welfare payments, then it might be the case that in, you know, a few years you'll end up people decide that welfare is actually a good idea again and like re-up those, for example. Okay. Moving quick moving quickly on because we need to finish finish up. On industrial policy, should cities and states use their tax and power to compete for large companies investing in their area and opening businesses. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about tax breaks and corporate welfare. I think probably not. Um, because, look, if nobody competes for them that way, then they wouldn't have, then they'll still be forced to choose, forced to choose somewhere, right? Because, I mean, you, like the, head, the company has to be headquartered somewhere. So I would just I, imagine I think, that... I think other states will yeah. choose, someone will choose to compete. It's not the case that everyone can be a cartel and, and agree not to. I mean, no, you don't, you don't have control over everything. Right. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's possible, but I thought the case was should they or should they not compete? And I don't think they should compete. Okay. Um, right? I mean, that, that's fine, they would actually you, be able but, to do uh, that reality. So let me just, the condition you just stated is I don't think you can achieve that, that no one else should compete because someone will. But if, you, if you're saying, yeah. if, even though someone will, you, you should not, that's a good answer. No, no, I just, sorry, I took out that your question was, should anybody, right? No, should like you? Like, if I have the power should, to stop it, should I? Sorry, um, you, again, yeah. some, someone, else, is, uh, someone else will compete. Yeah. Should you compete? Yeah. Okay, that, that's, uh, I'm sort of agnostic on that, because it depends on how many jobs it would bring. It depends on uh, how, how deep the tax cuts you would have to give are. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that, uh, yeah, and I'm not really sure. It probably depends on the company, and it depends on um, the, your sort of tax base and stuff like that, right? Okay, so if uh, if someone else is offering a better deal to the company, but you calculate that it's not a good enough deal for your uh, city or state, then you should just let them go to the other place, yeah? Well, if I, yeah, if I calculate that it would be a bad deal for us, then yeah, I, I would let them go to the other state. How, how aggressive would you like to compete? Not very much or very much? Um, it's it's hard to answer because this all depends on like how useful the company is. And it also depends on other things like how useful it would be to the other, um, the other city, right? Because presumably I think that the utility of the people in the other city also matters. So if I'm going to be outbidding the company to come to my city, but actually it'll like make, okay, it'll make the people in the other city more unhappy than it would make the people in my city happy. Then I would think it's net negative. So I probably wouldn't bid. You'd consider the happiness of a city next to you, even though you're not uh, controlling it. Yeah. What about a country next to you? Yeah. You'd consider the utility of the globe basically. Yeah. Why? The, yeah, voters, the, just, voters, just, the voters are not voting for the globe. They're voting for you to give them policies. Yeah, I know. Right, but you're asking me as a utilitarian, right? <laughs> I think the right thing to... If you're asking me what the right thing to do is, then the right thing is to consider 
everyone's utility equally, right? And everyone means everyone, not just the people who voted for you. Okay, and if if the result of your utilitarian calculation means that it's rarely the case that you compete for businesses and they don't come to your town, and you, and your town, let's say city, sorry, and your city doesn't get investment, doesn't get new businesses, would that not hurt? Would that not be a disutility to your voters? Yeah. Well, presumably it would be a disutility, right? But the question is whether it's outweighed by the positive utility to other people. I, again, I, I'm not sure how you calculate that. and I don't know how to answer your question. I don't know how to give you more context. I'm just saying that it is currently, well, it is currently the case that there is industrial policy, both for states and for cities. Certainly the uh, Inflation Reduction Act was, had a lot of that. Um, yeah. Right. So the point is that you don't, you don't have to give me the details, right? Because it might be hard to provide them, but I'm just saying that it depends on the details. So because neither of us knows the details exactly, then uh, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, if, it's, if it turns out to be net positive, then I would pursue it. And if it turns out to be net negative, then I wouldn't pursue it. Net, but you're saying net positive to the globe. Yeah. Well, yeah globally it, it, net positive utility wise. In that case, the company will go somewhere in the globe, in any case. Yeah, okay. Like, they would invest somewhere. Right. But I'm not, again, right, I'm not sure that the, is the investment elsewhere going to be as useful to them as the investment here would be useful to us? I'm not sure. But assuming it would be, then yeah, probably I wouldn't offer tax breaks because, um, you know, like either way. Well, it also depends on how deep the tax breaks are in other places, right? Because if the tax breaks are super deep, then maybe it would be equally beneficial either place. But if we welcome them here, there would be less of a cost to the government and so less of the cost to the people in terms of tax breaks. So that also depends. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's finish up. In, on the topic of harm reduction, mm-hmm. if a state national, nationalizes the sale of all illegal drugs and cigarettes so the 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 state is selling is now in the business of selling illegal drugs and cigarettes from itself no one else is allowed to do that would mm. would that make those substances moral to consume uh, i'll give example so the state gives out clean needles it regulates the sale of drugs and cigarettes the quality of the drugs and cigarettes it uses the money from that to fund social programs and in addition it abolishes large criminal organizations that were using uh, these uh, substances to fund their organizations. And now that they're uh, unable to, then they will go out of business. Is it more, yeah, so is it more, is it more, that question is, is it moral to consume those substances under these conditions? Yeah, it depends what substance it is, right? If it's fentanyl, like marijuana. Fentanyl, ma- fentanyl, marijuana, cocaine, cigarettes. Yeah, well, the point is it depends because I think marijuana is largely fine, especially if you're doing like edibles, because probably if you're above like 25, um, mm-hmm. and so it won't have that much effect on your brain development and it's not, it's not really addictive as far as I know. And also if you do edibles and it won't like hurt your lung health, then those are probably morally fine. Um, okay. maybe even morally good, but things like heroin, probably a bad idea. I think, um, if, if you it's don't like super highly addictive. Let me let me sorry. The condition is if if you don't do it, then the um, then the criminal organization would sell it instead. Wait, if you mean if I don't do the drug, then if the you if you don't sell, if you as the as the state don't choose not to sell heroin, then someone criminal will. 
Oh, would this would people consume it more if I sold it than if the criminal enterprise sold it, or what? Uh, the same, let's say. Hmm. But then I think it's probably better if I sell it because you're taking away power from criminal enterprises, and also because you don't end up jailing people for like just doing drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty net, net net negative utility, I'd say. Okay, so is do does the consum does the fact that the state is selling these substances make consuming these substances a good thing? No, no. As I said, it depends on what the substance is, right? It depend if it's something highly addictive like heroin, then it might not be a good thing to consume because you're probably still likely to get addicted and have a net negative experience. But if it's marijuana, then it's probably fine because that's not very addictive and it's fun. What about cigarettes? Um, cigarettes, I, cigarettes, I think it's sort of complicated person by person basis because for most people, I would say it's probably pretty bad for your lungs and addictive. So it's, it's immoral. You shouldn't do it. But uh, I, maybe for some people, if they like really enjoy it a huge amount and it brings them a huge amount of joy, then it would end up being that positive for them. But I'm not sure for those people. But for the vast majority of people, probably, yeah, you probably shouldn't do the cigarettes. Okay. Right. On the topic of... This really is the last questions. On the topic of population decline, should mm-hmm. a state of a shrinking population force its women to get pregnant? Um, and probably I, not. And I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate. So, so let's do like the policy one, and then we can do like even worse than that. So ban abortions, uh, mm-hmm. remove privileges for women who do not have babies, high taxes on women mm-hmm. or couples that choose not to have babies, and let's say you could mm-hmm. you could include free IVF treatments to people who do want. Yeah, so I don't I don't think so. I mean, I doubt that would be good. Uh, except maybe the free IVF treatments would be good. But as far as I know, a lot of pronatalist policies aren't that effective. Um, and I also I also think that the sort of uh, personal autonomy violation, um, well, the, the personal autonomy violation of abortions is plausibly pretty bad. Um, utility-wise, uh, so that I'm, might. I'm hearing a rights-based argument yeah. again. Wait, didn't I just say utility-wise? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm just. I'm just hearing. I'm just hearing in my in my. Fi- I'm filtering okay. through my own filters. I'm hearing rights-based. Okay, is all yeah. I'm saying. Cool. All right. Well, as long as we all agree that I'm not making a rights-based argument, then uh, yeah, that, that's okay. Fine but you. Me. But let's okay. say, let's say the shrink the shrinking of the population is is drastic. It's shrinking at a fast rate and. You may not have a state in some in some generations, and I, yeah, and there's you know there's no other populations that can immigrate. I mean, would you make a suggestion? Well, I mean, I'd probably allow more immigrations if there are other places that have uh, a, like very high population and don't need all of their population, right? If their population's doing okay, let's say you aren't receiving a lot of immigrants. Oh, then I'd probably and, encourage more and obviously, and obviously, you know, there's the national nationalist uh, argument that the the core people of the nation is and the culture is dying. Yeah, I, so I'm not sure that either of those are major issues. I would say, yeah, I, I don't know if the core element of the U.S. would be dying or whatever, right? But um, so I probably maybe I would do like free IVF, right? Maybe I would do some other programs like free um 
like longer parental leave stuff like that but only if those programs turn well at least one consideration that would weigh in favor of those programs is if those programs are actually effective which i'm not sure that they are but i would also allow for more immigration right because i think that's probably one of the better options and i would try to encourage immigrants to come so why would you not force the women population to have babies oh yeah. i think it's violating their rights yeah What did you say? I'm joking. I don't, <laughs> I'm joking. It's not okay. because of their rights. It's because I think that it's a, I think that when um, you have people, so when you, you have people who feel like they're being pushed to have kids, that's mm -hmm. probably going to be negative on their utility, especially if you like disallow abortions and stuff. And then either people might be more likely to turn towards uh, illegal abortions, which I think are probably bad, or they might also just um, be very unhappy having the child that they're carrying, right? So uh, plausibly all of those things would be bad. So I, I would say that at least I would be unsure about those, but I, I definitely wouldn't wholeheartedly endorse them at this point. Would you say that the women are being selfish for not having children? Um, so... It sort of depends on their individual stages of life, right? But for example, if one of them's if uh, if they're women who are very productive and would be less productive if they had a kid, but they're doing a lot of very good things um, because they don't have a kid, then it's probably a good idea for them not to have a kid. But if there are women who would be able to perform to do their job and you know do their communal roles and stuff like do do what they usually do, right? Um, and also have a kid easily. And it's probably a good idea for them for them to have a kid. So I would say that they're probably doing something wrong by not having a kid. So, so it's selfish if they're, unless they're hyperproductive in other means. Well, it's selfish if uh, having the kid. If it's selfish if having the kid would not decrease their productivity that much, or hurt other, or like make other people unhappy or make them unhappy that much, but they still don't want to have a kid. Yeah, that'd be selfish. Okay. The very last question, congratulations. On the topic of environmentalism, uh, should a and this is a, a European question in, in, in essence, should a state turn on closed coal power plants temporarily if its people are struggling to pay for energy to heat their homes during a cold winter? Um, it sort of depends on how high the prices are, but very uh, very high times okay five. so given what i yeah so given what i know about europe right now if it's true that there are people who like will probably have way worse quality of life because they won't be able to afford things like power then i think it's probably a good thing to uh turn on coal power plants but it also depends on sort of the emission profiles of those coal power plants right because i think probably different ones are to different degrees bad for the environment and also the right the availability of other power plants right like probably the first thing i would do is avoid turning off nuclear power plants but uh, yeah that, uh, that's, the, not that's, that's an easy yeah. one we could we could have yeah. all guessed that one um yeah but you know so you're turning all coal power coal power plants you know they can do as much as they can it does pollute more than natural gas and and nuclear obviously yeah. and it does hurt the overall planet but it does help the people that are literally not turning on their heating when it's minus four outside yeah real, real um, example yeah i think the trade-off is probably worth it but 
you know, I'm open to be convinced either way if there's like strong empirical arguments. Like what, what empirical arguments should I provide? Well, okay. So for example, if it turned out that, um, like this one winter of opening coal power plants is going to contribute a great deal to environmental collapse. Um, that would be one thing that I, that would it, change it would my be, position. In, in all likelihood, it would be, you would not notice. I mean, I, I would say you would not notice there's even a small difference, even if you did it in real life. Um, yeah. It would be very difficult to measure okay, so, globally, but, yeah. but that could be, but I can make that argument, but unless you have like, um, on, let's put it this way, during the lockdowns, where let's say half the planet ceased to, to stay at home, and, and, and let's say some things still functioned, but most things did not, there was no deg- degradation mm-hmm. in CO2 in the environment, in the atmosphere, sorry, during yeah. that time. So turning on, so equally turning on a, a few, let's say five coal plants uh, in Germany or, or the UK, you won't notice any increase or decrease in the trend globally yeah well i mean the issue is that right now we're not trying to maintain the trend right we're trying to decrease the trend so we haven't uh, succeeded even during the lockdowns yeah so but i think it's not a binary right even if we could decrease the trend more than we would have otherwise it's still good but i mean i take it that probably turning on coal power plants for one winter isn't going to affect the environment that much compared to all besides you know especially compared to all the other countries that are admitting um sure. so i would probably be okay with it yeah given given the way i think things are probably in the real world okay but yeah i would say that was all my question i would say that you're surprisingly rational i, I would actually uh question why you're a socialist in to be honest with you um because your, 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 your answers are quite somewhat vanilla um and and on the sane side, so I'm not uh, not not everything, but like in in most cases, so I would say I'm. What surprised do people you, usually say? Well, so for example, the property rights one at the beginning is is basically Native Americans and a mix of uh, the Enclosures Act. So, yeah, so, yeah, I got that. Um, unequal exchange. I don't have a I don't have a a dog in the fight either way because I think it's beneficial if people accept the. The job, the education thing is what happens nowadays. Housing thing is obviously what happens nowadays. Uh, the crime example I gave is is a real example that some some states do. Um, but do you do you usually like ask people uh, and socialists will answer just like crazy things? And if they do answer crazy things, what do they usually say? I haven't tried it on too many people. I I'm just tired of the the reason why I did it. This, these sets of questions to begin with is because I'm just tired of the um, mental masturbation of, of arguing about these different philosophies. I want to see them in real life. I want to see, like, you have a philosophy, you think it's more ethical, you think it helps more people, then here's an example, what would you do? Okay. Cool. Well, you know, uh, the famous mantra, right, that the only thing that utilitarians do more than bite insane bullets is to make very strong empirical statements with no backing. So uh, in this case, I'm open hey, to I, you I wrong about pretty much I, all the empirics I said before. Yeah. I tried my best. And these are examples from real life. I'm not, uh, none of this yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. is, is imagine. well, some are imagine, imaginary, but most are from real life. Okay, well, if that's all the questions you have, then that's all the questions know, I'll I have. hop off and make myself dinner. Well, okay. uh, good speaking with you again. Have a good evening. Bye.
but 